Welcome back to the Chicago Chi Alpha podcast. This week, we continue in our thermostat series, Fruit of the Spirit. Today's message, we focus on the fruit of kindness. Enjoy. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Amen. If there is one thing that you take away tonight, it is this next sentence. You ready? Abiding in Jesus gives us his perspective, his heart, and his ability. Let me say it again. Abiding in Jesus gives us his perspective, his heart, and his ability. So in case you don't know me, my name is Cameron Cornell. I'm on staff with Chi Alpha. This is actually my third year here at UIC. I've been loving it. It's been a blast. I got to give my shout outs to my dudes in the crowd. I got Haresh. I got Masna. I got Elisha. I got Madi. I got, wait, where are my other guys? I don't see. Jonathan, there, y'all are here. I love you all. I just want to give shout outs. Um, I am so grateful to be here. But besides Chi Alpha, I do have a life. I have a family. I have a wife, I have a child, um, hence I'm always very tired, and usually, if you look closely, there's some form of child mess on me at all times. So, but before I was a husband, and before I was a father, I, and I still am, a brother. I have an older sister who I adore, she is eight years older than me. I love it when she is my sister, I don't love it when she is my mother. Anyone with an old... Anyone with an older sibling ever felt that? It's like, I don't need you to tell me what to do no more. <laughs> Please no. <laughs> Mom, they're saying this again. So um, this next photo is uh, a little preview. So that's my sister, myself, and my brother-in-law. Um, and that is me thinking I am the coolest kid around. I had to learn that was not, in fact, the case. So... Uh, let me tell you a brief story about what we are speaking about tonight. We are speaking tonight about kindness. That is the fruit of the Spirit we're talking about tonight, kindness. And you see, in this photo, you see some smiling face. well, two smiling faces. Uh, <laughs> and what you don't see is the grief and arguments and frustration and tears that existed between my sister and I for a long, long time. And if I'm being honest, the reason that there were a lot of tears and grief and hardship was because I was a jerk. I was the younger brother trying to be cool, trying to be all that, right? And the way I tried to do that was by making jokes, making fun trying to be cool. Hey, look at me, my sister's friends. I can make fun of my sister and be cool. You guys laugh, so I must be cool. But my sister would cry, and she would be hurt. And what I had to discover was that in my attempt to be cool, in my attempt to be funny and liked, I had become a person I did not wish to be. 
because who I wished to be was someone who made others feel loved, someone who made others feel valuable, someone who made people feel safe, right? But I wasn't that. And I, I remember distinctly, I won't give all the details, but I remember distinctly Christmas Eve where I wrote my Santa letter. I was 17 years old and my mother was having me write a Santa Claus letter. Thank you, mom. And in that, I said some things that my sister then later saw and read. And I remember it was like Christmas got canceled because of my harsh words, because of the things I said that made her feel unloved. And it broke a lot of our relationship. And it, I kind of decided that night to make a difference, to make a change. And that difference came in the form of, I am going to be kind. Now, here's the thing. I became kind not through a choice. I kept going back to my cruel jokes. I became kind by becoming more and more and more deeply connected to Jesus. Let me say that again. I became deeply connected with Jesus and my character changed. Before we actually start learning about kindness, let's pull back and talk about the process of bearing the fruit of the Spirit, right? In our, in our core verse, can we look once more at Galatians 5? But the fruit of the Spirit, it's the fruit of the Spirit. What does that mean? Well, last week, Pastor Becky talked about how we can rely on the Holy Spirit through our identification as children of God. We get the Holy Spirit because we are God's children. Then as we are filled, our character and our desires and our motivations and our results change. In short, we bear fruit because the Holy Spirit produces. How does he do this? How does, he do this? How does the Holy Spirit produce good fruit? Because if I'm in your shoes, I'm thinking, Cameron has said nothing but religious garble. I don't understand a word he's saying. What is he talking about? Well, let's look. In the book of John, which is a story about Jesus, it's a gospel account of Jesus, we read in John chapter 15, verses 1 through 5, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Here it is. Ready? Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So Jesus was speaking to a bunch of people who understood farming. They understood gardening. You want to feed your family? You have a garden. No supermarkets, right? So everyone just kind of understood, yes, obviously, Jesus, we get it. You're not going to have a tomato grow off of nothing. You're not going to have the sunflower grow out of thin air. It has to be rooted in something. It has to be in the ground. It has to be planted. It has to be drawing its nutrients in. And that if the tomato is grown, it's like, ooh, that ain't right. That ain't it. Or if the sunflower is all 
twisted and not looking right. Well, what's the problem? It's the plant. The plant is a problem. If the fruit is bad, the plant is bad. But you know how, if, how you know if a plant is good? The fruit is good. So abiding in Jesus, remaining in Jesus, what does that mean? I want to reframe it, rephrase it for you. Abiding in Jesus, remaining in Jesus, means that you are deeply rooted, that you are deeply connected. These are all different ways saying the same thing. So what are the like ways? What, so Cameron, how are you deeply rooted to Jesus? How are you deeply connected? Well, let me tell you something. I read the Bible a lot. I pray as much as I remember to. I try to worship. But those are like some surface ones. Okay, I've, I've seen people do that in movies and TV. I've seen my friends talk about that. Other ways, meditating on a piece of scripture, on, on a truth from God, just chewing on it, thinking about it. Fasting, uh, staying up late for a prayer vigil, giving your money away to the point where it hurts. Be like, Jesus, this is my tuition money, but you're telling me to give it away. Ooh, anyone just clench up right there? Uh-oh, nope, I don't want that, Cameron. Abiding in Jesus is about staying deeply connected. So we also are told here for Jesus to remain in us. It's a little less intuitive. What does it mean? It's actually simpler. Jesus remains in us when we obey him. Simple as that. So I stay deeply rooted to Jesus, and Jesus is in me because I'm obeying him. Just that exchange, back and forth, over and over. So what happens when we abide? We become more like Jesus. We cultivate his character. When you hang out with your friends, you become like them, right? When you are around your parents all the time, well, you start to hear yourself say the same things they say. Hang out with Jesus a lot. You'll start to be like him. Think about it that way. Real simple. Hang out with Jesus. You'll be like him over time. Now, kindness is the thing we're talking about, right? Here's the thing. Kindness is not merely an emotion. It's not just, hey, Haresh, you're a cool guy. That's nice, right? But let's say Taylor and I are just chatting. We're hanging out. And I say, Taylor, you look so nice today. But what I don't tell her is that she has a big old thing just hanging out in her teeth. Now, me being nice, I don't even acknowledge it. But that's not being very kind, because me being kind is saying, hey, Taylor, you got something in your teeth. And she goes, oh, thank you. Did I get it? And I go, no. <laughs> and then she gets it, I'm like, all right, great, cool, you're good. You see, is it always nice to point out something in her teeth? Maybe not, it might feel a little awkward, but is it kind? Yes. Kindness does not equal niceness. Niceness does not equal kindness. They can be similar, they can be related, but they are not the same thing. So, here's the thing. I wanna give you a working definition of kindness. Godly kindness is having compassion towards others, and a willingness to do something about it. You see someone hurting, 
kindness motivates you to serve them. You see someone struggling, hey, I know you're struggling with this test. I already took that class. Let me help you study. Kindness is not, oh, you're struggling with that? Let me do it for you. Kindness is having the willingness to serve. So Romans 2.4 tells us that God's kindness is intended to lead us to repentance. That it is God's kindness that intends to lead us to repentance. God's pointing out something in our teeth so that we can do something about it. So, once again, what is the heart of this? Abiding in Jesus gives us his perspective, his heart, and his ability to serve. How did Jesus demonstrate kindness? I have three points to share with you tonight. We're going to cruise through them, and then we're going to watch a little video. You're going to get to sit back and be like, good, I'm not listening to Cameron anymore, okay? Here are the three points. When we abide in Jesus, we gain his perspective. When we abide in Jesus, we gain his heart. And when we abide in Jesus, we gain his ability to serve others. In John chapter 4, we read the account of a Samaritan woman. Now, brief background, Jews and Samaritans did not like each other. It is north side meeting south side. It is east coast meeting west coast. It is Democrat and Republican. They did not want to hang out. You do things different. You're wrong. No, you do things different. You're wrong, Jews and Samaritans. So let's, let's look at this passage real quick. I'm just going to read it to you. So Jesus left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria. Actually, he didn't. He chose to. There's some cool stuff there, but I'll just say that. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman, and that's when you hear the dun-dun. So when a Samaritan woman, say it with me, dun-dun. Thank you. A little delayed, but you got there. Will you give me a drink, Jesus said to her. His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you, thank you, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Also, men did not associate with women in that time. So Jesus is like breaking barriers here, okay? Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Then they have a bit of a debate. And here's the crazy thing. Jesus talked to her like an equal. A Samaritan woman. By the way, it's, the reason it said that they were there at noon, that's because she wasn't allowed to hang out with the other women doing this. She was there alone for a reason. And Jesus looked her in the eye and said, let me engage with you. Let me treat you like an equal. So they debate for a little bit, and then at the end of their, their interaction, we're going to skip some verses. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? 
Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Jesus had a different perspective on her than anyone else in his situation. In fact, what should have happened, according to their culture, was Jesus ignoring her. And in fact, probably leaving the well. Oh, there's a Samaritan woman there. Oh, 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 oh. But he had a different perspective. He saw the outcast. He saw that hurting woman. And he recognized the image of God within her. When we abide in Jesus, we become like him, right? Well, when we abide in Jesus, we gain his perspective. We will see people as bearing the image of God. That person you disagree with, that person who you think is the next worst thing after the devil, you're going to see them and love them because they bear the image of God. That person who has a different point of view than you on abortion, that person who has a different point of view than you on the death penalty, that person, you name the issue. You name the thing that if I said it right now, you might want to walk up and leave if I disagreed with you. And having Jesus' perspective looks at that person and says, I see you. You are important. You are not my enemy. So we gain his perspective, but we also gain his heart. So brief example, Jesus, we believe as Christians, died on the cross. But it was not because we forced it to happen, but because he willingly chose to go there. Why? So that he could take care of the penalty of sin and the penalty of death. He was going to beat it all so that when we hung out with him, we could participate with him in the, the, the resurrection and the freedom from sin, right? That's what we believe as Christians. Why would Jesus stay on the cross? If he is all-powerful as we believe, why would he stay? And it's because he loved the people he was dying for. He saw humanity as they were, messy, broken, lost, and killing him on the cross. And he said, I love you enough to stay here. When you and I hang out with Jesus, we're going to get that same heart. We're going to get that same emotional response for the people that we see. Jesus looked at the people literally killing him, and he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. i got to wonder, how often do you and I look at the people hurting us, the people we disagree with, and say, Lord, send them to hell? Now, we might not say it, right? We're too polite for that. But what we do say is, I wouldn't be mad if they died. Ever thought that about a political leader? Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, Jesus died for that person. Jesus died for, ready for this? Jesus died for President Putin. He died for President Biden. He died for me, and he died for you. When we have his heart, 
we go from an egocentric point of view to a point of view that God is at the center. And then he sends us to love his children. We could talk about this for a little while, but at the end of it, I just want you to hear this. When you are deeply connected to Jesus and you are obeying him and you become like him, you're going to get his heart, his compassion for others. And also, when you hang out with Jesus, you're going to get his ability to serve. To me, it makes sense that when you're deeply connected to Jesus and you're remaining there consistently, not perfectly, but consistently, you are going to get his perspective in his heart. Yes, I'm good. That makes perfect sense to me. But what, is, what do I mean when I say it gives you the ability to serve? What does that mean? Does that mean, oh, I, I now have my, my uh, uh, gloves and I have my, my equipment, so I can actually go do the thing now? Not quite. You see, we read in the book of Acts. It's the fifth book in the New Testament. We read the story of this church, of this gathering of followers of Jesus who were messy and scared. When Jesus was getting killed, they didn't stand up. They were like, <laughs> deuces. And Peter, who ended up becoming the leader of the church, committed the most unforgivable sin according to rabbinic tradition, according to Jewish rabbis and how they taught things. According to the rabbis, Judas, who betrayed Jesus, could be forgiven. Totally fine. Because Judas made a mistake. He was trying to help Jesus along. But Peter, you denied your rabbi? You denied your teacher three times? You're done. You're never allowed to be a student of a rabbi again. That same guy who was a coward, a traitor, ends up becoming the leader of the church. Why? Peter didn't, uh, Peter didn't do nothing. God filled him with his Holy Spirit and empowered him to reach the world. Because Peter hung out with Jesus and he was forgiven by Jesus of the most unforgivable of sins, he got the power of God to go along with it. The most amazing thing is that you and I have access to the same Jesus that empowered those early believers. You see, we read about crazy signs and wonders, miracles happening. Oh, but that's not for me. That's not for us. Corlin, I man, I like your shoes. You see, that was nice. But Corlin, I, I don't know, this whole Jesus thing... Can we really do, I don't know, you're talking crazy, man. I, I don't think we can see those signs and wonders no more. No, the same Jesus that was back then is the same Jesus now. The same Jesus. So, this filling, God says it's available to all. No restrictions. In the Old Testament, tells, God says that he will pour out his spirit on all flesh. Young men, young women, old men, old women, they're all open to this. They're all equally able to receive. It's a good gift, Jesus tells us, to receive the filling of God. In a little bit, we're going to have the opportunity to ask God for this, if we are so willing. So as we start to wrap this up, 
you might be wondering, okay, right? We're talking about kindness tonight. You might be wondering what abiding in Jesus to gain his perspective, heart, and ability has to do with the fruit of the Spirit, kindness. When we abide in Jesus, we will naturally and purposefully grow in the fruit of the Spirit. But kindness is not a simple thing. It's not. It's not as simple as, hey, Taylor, you have something in your teeth. It is not as simple as that. Kindness is a way of life that will help people encounter the risen Jesus who lives inside of you. Kindness is the method through which God is going to change the world. Kindness is the thing that says, you're not allowed to vote. Let me break that barrier for you. Let's work together to break that down. Oh, you're not allowed equal access to housing? I'm going to make sure that person gets a home, even if you have to live with me. It's saying, I'm going to have compassion on you. I'm going to look at you and see the image of God and say, what would God do for you? And I might not be able to accomplish it on my own, but me and my gang, we're going to try. You see someone hurting and broken, you're going to be like the good Samaritan and go up and bandage their wounds. You see someone hurting and in pain, you're going to say, how can I love you? What do you need? You're not going to pass them by. You're not going to ignore them because Jesus is standing in front of you because the image of God that he put there demands your love and attention. And our response is kindness towards that. When you have a Jesus-given perspective, a Jesus-given compassion, and a Jesus-given ability, you will go from a passerby in this world to an active participant in the mission of God to this world. You want to be an active participant in the mission of God to this world? Kindness is the methodology. It is not bitterness. It is not anger. It is not dissension. It is not yelling at someone to fix their life because they're a mess. It is not looking at someone and saying, your politics are wrong and you have to fix them before you hang out with me. It is saying, Jesus is inside of you. I see that and I love you. I'm going to be generous towards you. Walking with Jesus is going to have you love people that you cannot love. It's going to give you joy when they hurt you. It's going to give you peace when they're making your life messy. It's going to give you patience as they work their stuff out with God. And the way through it is kindness, to see them as an image bearer of God. And you say, I love you. I love you. And I'm going to do good for you. I went a little long, and I apologize. But I wanted to share a bit of my heart there. We're going to watch a clip. It's a little bit long, but I think it's really powerful. It's from a show called The Chosen. In this, you're going to see the story of the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. You're going to see it shown, a, rep a dramatic representation. What I want you to watch it for is the kindness of Jesus towards a person he has culturally no right to talk to. Let's watch.
you give me a drink? Did you hear me? That's bad, huh? What? You, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan, and a woman. I'm sorry. I should have said please. You know, it's not safe for you to be alone out here. Nor you. Why haven't you come with others? Why so late in the day? Don't women come to the wells in the, the cool of the morning? Yeah, well, none of them will be seen with me, so I have to come at noon in the heat, as you have so kindly reminded me. Why won't they be seen with you? Long story. I'd, I'd still like a drink of water if you can spare it. Amazing what a parched throat will do. Aren't I unclean to you? Won't you be defiled by this vessel? Maybe some of my people say that about your women, but I don't. Yeah? And what do you say? I say if you knew who I am, you'd be asking me for a drink. Really? And I would give you living water. Would. Except that you have nothing to draw water with, and this is a deep well. Besides, what do you need from me if you have your own supply of living water? Long story. But Jewish water is better than Samaritan water, hmm? That's not what I said. Are you a better man than our ancestor Jacob, who dug this well? Your water is better than his? I know, Jacob. And everyone who drinks this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. Wouldn't that be nice? The water I give will become in a person a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Really? Yes, really. Prove it. First, go and call your husband and come back. I will show you both. I don't have a husband. You are right. You've had five husbands. And the man you're living with now is not your husband. <laughs> oh, I see. You're a prophet. You're here to preach at me. No. Usually the one good thing about coming here alone is I can escape being condemned. I'm not here to condemn you. I've made mistakes. Too many. But it's men like you who have made it impossible for me to do anything about it. How? Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews insist Jerusalem is the only place for true worship. They say that because the temple is there. Yeah. Exactly where we're not allowed. I'm here to break those barriers. And the time is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. So, where am I supposed to go when I need God? I've never received anything from God, but I couldn't thank him even if I did. Anywhere. God is spirit, and the time is coming and is now here that it won't matter where you worship, but only that you do it in spirit and truth. Heart and mind, that, that is the kind of worshiper he's looking for. It won't matter where you're from or what you've done.
Do you believe what I'm telling you? <laughs> Until the Messiah comes, that explains everything, and sorts this mess out, including me. I don't trust in anyone. You're wrong when you say that you've never received anything from God. This Messiah you speak of, I am he. The first one was named Ramin. You were a woman of purity who was excited to be married. But he wasn't a good man. He hurt you. And it made you question marriage and even the practice of your faith. Stop it. The second was Farzad. On your wedding night, his skin smelled like oranges. And to this day, every time you pass by the oranges in the market, you feel guilty for leaving him because he was the only truly godly man you've been with. But you felt unworthy. Why are you doing this? I have not revealed myself to the public as the Messiah. You are the first. It would be good if you believed me. You picked the wrong person. I came to Samaria just to meet you. <laughs> Do you think it's an accident that I'm, I'm here in the middle of the day? I am rejected by others. I know, but not by the Messiah. Once you know these things, because you are the Christ. I'm going to tell everyone. I was counting on it. <laughs> Spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. It won't be all about mountains or temples. Soon, just the heart. <laughs> you promise. I promise. This man told me everything I've done. Oh, he must be the Christ! <laughs> Everything Jesus has, you and I can receive. We can receive it when we remain deeply connected to Jesus. You want to change the world, hang out with Jesus. Let him give you his kindness. Let him give you his perspective. Let him give you his heart. And let him give you his ability to change the world. I want to open up the altar. If you are feeling burnt out, feeling too much or if you feel like you've given enough maybe you feel like you've been pushing and pushing and pushing and you're just done go to Jesus and let him give you his heart again
remain deeply rooted to Jesus. Let it start again afresh tonight. Thanks for tuning into this week's message about the fruit of kindness. And may God transform us by his Holy Spirit so that we can have an inward heart of kindness that will output a genuine love towards others. Hey, we're looking forward to having you next week as we talk about the fruit of goodness. God bless you.